and we're going to uh, read the passage which I believe will be the basis of uh, Aaron's sermon in Genesis 11. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Whilst his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land, as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. So looking at it, uh, starting a study on the, the life of Abraham. Abraham lived about 4,000 years ago. From today back to Christ, it's about 2,000 years. And from Christ back to Abraham, about another 2,000 years. So if you can add 2,000 and 2,000 together, you get so Abraham lived about 4,000 years ago. So we're going to consider the promises of Almighty God, the promises that God made to Abraham in this passage today. So, thank you to David for reading this passage. Basra. Basra. 
Do you know that name? Basra. Basra, during the Iraq war 20 years ago, we heard the name Basra many times. In Iraq, Basra was where the British army were based. There we go. So 20 years ago, Basra looked like was this when the British army were on parade, but when they were at war, Basra looked like this. And that was really not a good place to live. Now, 4,000 years ago, Basra was known by another name. 4,000 years ago, Basra was known as Ur of the Chaldeans. We read that in today's passage, didn't we? We read that at the end of uh, Genesis 11. So Ur of the Chaldeans, it looked like... There we go, it looked like, it looked like this. And a man called Abram lived in of the Chaldeans, archaeologists have found it to be a very beautiful city. It had good water systems. It had public libraries. Get this. They had central heating 4,000 years ago. Now, I was, a, I was a kid back in the 60s. And back in the 60s, we used to sit, and, sit around our black and white television, warming ourselves around our black and white coal fire, I didn't get central heating in my house until I was 30 years old. <laughs> I didn't get central heating until I was 30. Abraham had central heating 4,000 years ago in the Middle East. <sighs> so lest you think these ancient civilizations in the Bible were not much more than knuckle-dragging cavemen, then you really need to think again. These are very sophisticated people. So, let me tell you about Abraham. What was his background? Abraham was not, as you might expect, a child of faith. He was not brought up to know God. His father was a heathen. His father was idolatrous. We know this from the book of Joshua. When the Hebrew leaders in Joshua said, Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River in Ur of the Chaldeans, and they worshipped other gods. Abraham was brought up to worship other gods. That's interesting. You'd think that the, the father of the Jews, as Abraham was known, would be a man who'd been, had a long family history of worshipping God, but he didn't. Abraham's father, along with everybody else in that culture, worshipped the moon god, Herky. They did not pray to Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth. So, the first Jew was a Gentile, and the first Hebrew was a heathen. And that tells us God can use people from any kind of background. Even you even me. So while Abraham was living in Ur of the Chaldeans, he, reserved, he received a, a call from God to leave his home and his people. And he went on a journey. So if you can see the map here, if you can, if you can see the, the green line, which goes from, there we are, Ur of the Chaldeans, followed the Euphrates River up to Haran, and then down into, into Canaan, and then later he went to, to Egypt. 
When we read the Bible earlier, you may have spotted the name Haran several times. And it's a little bit confusing here because Terah had a son called Haran and they moved to the city of Haran. Confused? You should be. And while, while they were there, Terah died and then Abraham moved on down into to Canaan, later known as Israel. So let's read 1 to 3 again. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. These are very, very important verses. Very important. So Genesis 12, 1 to 3, God's word says, The, the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household, that's from Ur the Chaldeans, into the land I will show you, which would be Canaan, or later known as Israel. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. A better translation would be, all peoples on earth will be blessed through your seed through your family line. Now, this may be one of the most important passages in the Bible. If you wanted to learn a passage from the Bible, then this would be it, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. It's been said that the whole story of the Bible unfolds from these three verses. Really, if you think deeply about it, the whole story of the Bible unfolds from these three verses. So these would be terrific verses for you to learn by heart. So in verse 1, we, we read that God told Abraham to go to a land that he would show him. And out of all the people on earth, the question is, why did God choose Abraham? Why did he choose this man who, who had been brought up to worship the moon god? Well, the answer is simply out of God's goodness, out of his grace. God called Abraham out of his grace, his kindness to people who don't deserve it. That's what grace means, isn't it? Grace means God's kindness to people who don't deserve it. And God, God is so kind to you and I. And we don't deserve his kindness. But God loves to pour out his grace upon us, doesn't he? There was nothing special about Abraham, simply God chose him and chose to set his grace upon Abraham. And the same goes for all of us here today. Out of his grace, God has given us all, everybody, Christians or non-Christians, God has given us all his air to breathe, clothing, shelter, families where we can love and be loved. And if, but if you're a Christian here this morning, God's given you extra grace He's given you all of these things plus the forgiveness of your sins. Plus the forgiveness of your sins. You are adopted into his family and you are a dearly loved child of almighty God. This is all, these are all gifts of God's grace, aren't they? And as God called Abraham, Abraham obeyed. He had faith to believe that God would lead him somewhere good. He had confidence in God. That's what faith means, isn't it? Confidence. The confidence is in the promises of God is called faith. Abraham, or as he's better known, Abraham, is mentioned many times, particularly in the New Testament, in 
in the, the book of Hebrews, which we, we saw earlier this morning. In Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. So Abraham entered the land of Canaan by faith. Don't you wish you had a, a faith like Abraham? Well, you can. You can because faith is not some, something like magic fairy dust that's sprinkled on a few chosen people. Faith arises in you. Faith arises in you. Faith, the Bible says, is acting on expected outcomes before the outcome is seen or proven. Get your head around that for a minute. Faith is acting on expected outcomes before the outcome is seen or proven. So faith is something that you have in advance. As the Bible says in Hebrews 11, faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. We do not see God, but we can have confidence in him, can't we? Confidence in God. Now, you and I show faith in many different things every day. When you trek off to, to Greg's and you buy a pasty, you trust that the, the pasty is going to do you an element of good and not poison you. You never take it to a scientific laboratory to test it and see if it's good and pure and clean. You pay your money and you eat it. You, that's, that's confidence. That's faith in Greg's the baker. Okay? You, you can... Oh, that was the previous slide. There's Greg's the baker. When you drive down one side of the road, you have faith that the guy on the other side of the road is going to stick on his side of the white lines and not cross over and, and drive into your lane. Some of you have put huge, huge faith or confidence in doctors who have cut you open with very, very sharp knives. That's faith, that's confidence, isn't it? And so you show faith in someone or something before the outcome is proven. Let me tell you about Robert Cheeseborough. Robert Cheeseborough, he was a man of faith. Anybody know the name Robert Cheeseborough? No, but he's a man of faith. I don't know if he was a man of faith in God, but he was a man of faith in something. Robert Cheeseborough had a huge amount of faith or confidence in his invention. And his invention was Vaseline. <laughs> Robert Cheeseborough is the man who invented Vaseline. But he had such confidence in Vaseline that he deliberately burned himself with acid on his arm and then applied Vaseline to it to heal the wounds. He cut himself. He scratched himself so often that he, his body was scarred for the rest of his life. But he proved that his product worked. People only had to look at his wounds and see how they'd healed to say, yeah, this is a good product. You could then see the extent of his faith in his product. His faith was in the product, not something in himself that was wishful thinking. Do you see the difference? 
It's not some magic fairy dust on himself. It was in the product externally from himself. And it's the same with you when it comes to your faith in God. Your confidence or your faith in God can be, should be big because he is a big God. Okay? He's a great big God that you can have faith in. You can have confidence in him because he is the almighty God who rules over heaven and earth. So our faith is in him. It's not something you, you work up in yourself. It's looking at him and understanding how great and mighty God is and that give you confidence in him. So when God called Abraham, he was a man of faith. God did not give Abraham a detailed map to say, this is where you're going. You, you go up that road and then you turn left and then you go up a bit further and when you get to that big rock, you, you turn right again. God didn't say that. He didn't give him a map. He just said, go and I will show you. And Abraham left his home and his family and he acted upon God's call. And this is how he's known as a man of faith. And you too can be men and women of faith. And it starts with you acting on the promises of God, on trusting them and responding to them. How do you know if God is calling you? When God gives a call, he will usually show it outwardly and inwardly. Let me explain. Inwardly, you will have just this, this, this little voice that won't go away. Just this feeling that, I really need to do that. I really need to do that. And it won't go away. It's not a passing whim. It stays with you and stays with you and grows over time. This is an inward call. But then it will be confirmed by other people who may suggest a certain course of action or a new ministry for you. Or if you suggest it to them, then they will agree wholeheartedly with you. That's the outward call. So after consulting wise Christian friends and after consulting your church elders, with their encouragement, you gently push doors to see if this is the way that God is leading you one step at a time. And if God is calling you to a, a new place or a new person to evangelize, you must obey him. You must obey him. Time will prove whether it's of God or whether it was just a personal whim that you fancied yourself. But if it's of God, God will continue to open the doors and make it possible for you. And so we come to this passage of Genesis 12, 1 to 3. God gives a command, leave your home and your family, and a series of promises, I will bless you, and I will bless you, and I will bless you, says God. Let's see if God kept his promises to Abraham. So in this passage, after God said, leave your home and your family, God said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. Now, God promises Abraham that he's going to become the father of a great nation. And from him will be a huge family line of many, many people. A great nation coming from you and your wife. 
And that's hilarious because Abraham is 75 and him and Sarah have got no children. How on earth is that going to happen? How, is, how are they, they going to become a great nation when you've got no kids to start the nation with? How's that going to be possible? But by the time Abraham was 100 and his wife Sarai was 90, God did indeed give them a son called Isaac. And within 400 years, their, their family line numbered more than half a million. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 12. Within 400 years, there were half a million of them. God promised to make him into a great nation, despite the fact that Abraham and his wife were old and had no children. The thing is, though, Abraham believed God. He believed God's promises, and God was faithful to fulfill them. So that, that first promise, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you, that's promise number one fulfilled, isn't it? God did do that. And the second one, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. God promised to make Abraham's name great. So was this promise fulfilled? Well, I don't know if you know that the, the Israelites like to proudly call themselves we are the sons of Abraham. It said that in, 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 in Luke chapter 19. Do you remember that time when uh, Zacchaeus, the little tax collector, was, was up a tree waiting for Jesus? And Jesus says, come down, I'm, I'm going to your house for tea. And Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give all the money back to the people that I've ripped off over the years. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham said Jesus. They were proud to call themselves down the generations, down the centuries. We are children of Abraham. Indeed, today, Abraham is not only respected by the Jews, he's respected by Christians, and he's respected by Muslims. Now that, to me, says that this promise is fulfilled, that God indeed has made Abraham's name great. Yeah. Promise number two, fulfilled. And what about this next one? I will bless those who bless you. You could say, but I will curse those who curse you. These promises were more made to, to, to the nation rather than Abraham and Sarai as individuals. Let, let's think about the story of Joseph. Him with the, the multicolored football shirt, as we saw earlier on this morning. Joseph, when Joseph was taken a prisoner, but then taken in front of Pharaoh, the Egyptian Pharaoh, and said that there's going to be seven years of good harvest and seven years of famine, he was promptly promoted to be prime minister of the land. Yeah, Joseph was taken out of jail to prime minister in a day. Some may say in recent years the reverse should be happening in this land, but we'll, we'll not go into that. Joseph was taken out of jail to be prime minister, and then when he was prime minister, he organized the, 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 the food distribution so that there was plenty for the people during the years of famine. 
that seems to me to be a fulfillment of the first part. I will bless those who bless you. Pharaoh blessed Joseph by giving him that super job. So God blessed Pharaoh in return. Yeah, I will bless those who bless you, your, your descendants. But 400 years later, when the Israelites were made slaves in Egypt... Moses went to the people, sorry, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh wouldn't. He cursed God's people. And so in response, God sent the angel of death, whereby the first in all the households died. Do you see how that's a fulfillment? I will curse those who curse you. All of the firstborn in the households of Egypt died because Pharaoh would not respond to God's call. I will curse those who curse you. And that is promise number three fulfilled. But the greatest promise that God made to Abraham is that he would bless all peoples on earth through you or through your seed. I will bless all people on earth through your seed, through your descendants. Now, this, is a, this fulfillment is found in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we see Jesus' family line. And it starts with Abraham, the father of, Is father of Isaac, and Isaac, the father of Jacob, and so on and so on. And the family line goes down through successive generations... When it gets to 16, we read, Jacob was the father of Joseph, Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The Lord Jesus is a direct descendant from Abraham. So do you see how all nations can be blessed through Abraham's seed? And that seed is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Down through the family lines through Abraham's family is the Lord Jesus Christ. So all people on earth will be blessed through Jesus. That's what the verse means. All people on earth will be blessed through your seed if we have faith in him. How much more could God bless all the nations than to send his one and only son to live in this world and to point to God and then pay for our sins on Calvary? so that we could be right with the holy God. How much more could God bless us than to give his son so that we could become adopted children of God? Do you see that be, because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are sitting in this church here today because God made a promise to Abraham. We are here today because God made a promise to Abraham that we are part of that, this, this promise we have a, a broken relationship with a holy God and that re relationship is restored because God made a promise to Abraham 4,000 years ago. Abraham believed and the proof of that is that he went, he left his, the, the place where he was brought up and he left his country. He didn't know where he was going but he followed God because nothing else seemed to make sense even when it doesn't make sense to the, n n nothing made sense except to follow God, when on paper it didn't make sense at all. But he had to follow God. 
And we see that God gave him the land of Canaan and God kept his promise to Abraham and God is the same God who keeps his promises to you down through the generations because all peoples on earth, that's you and I, all peoples on earth will be blessed through the seed of Abraham which is the Lord Jesus Christ. God has made so many promises in the Bible. So many promises. In, in Psalm 103, for example, God promised that he would not treat us as our sins deserve, but as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Oh, how blessed we are. How blessed we are that he, our Thank you. Our, our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. That's without end. Without end. And why does God do that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. In John 3.16 we read that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because he loves you, God has promised you eternal life. How? Because his precious son died on the cross, taking the punishment for your sins through the death of the, his one and only son on a wooden cross outside Jerusalem one Friday morning. How true it is when the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus Christ. Yeah? No matter how many promises, and the Bible's full of them, folks. The Bible's full of God's promises, and they are all yes and amen to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's promises to Abraham and all of God's promises to you are fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his death and his resurrection. God promised the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all those who will follow and obey him. So what we need to do is to press on, to trust him. He is the rock that will never let you down. No matter what you're going through at home, he is the rock that will never let you down. He is almighty God, and folks, he loves you dearly. He loves you dearly. This is a wonderful Savior who keeps all of his promises to Abraham and all of his promises to us through the Lord Jesus Christ because he loves you. Praise God for his promises. 